Are you exploring starting a company? Well, we've got a program for that. ODF has helped 1,000 companies like Traba, Levels, and Finch get started and go on to raise over $2 billion. Learn more and apply at beyonddeck.com. Hey, everybody. Julian here, co-founder and CEO of OnDeck. And today, we're chatting with Mo El Mahalawi, CTO and co-founder of Shepard. Shepard is an all-in-one commercial insurance platform focused on high-hazard industries. The company is on an absolute tear, and this month they announced a $13.5 million Series A. Mo and I decided to sit down to record our conversation because the journey of Shepard will resonate with many potential founders who are trying to find those two key missing pieces. Who might I start a company with, and what might we build together? Right as the world was shutting down due to COVID, Mo joined ODF3, where he met one of his co-founders at Shepard, Justin Levine. Mo and Justin soon embarked on a journey to determine what they could build together that had potential to solve a real customer problem. After pivoting through several ideas across a variety of sectors, they honed in on an area where one of them had a unique insight, construction insurance. This is an instructive story about how to find co-founders and how to build a great business together. Enjoy. Mo, welcome to the deep end. We're really excited to have you here. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe we could just dive in and you can tell us a little bit about your background um, and what you're building at Shepherd. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Having went through ODF three now, just think really highly of On Deck. Um, it's been a big reason why Justin and I met and started this company. So thank you for doing that. And um, yeah, so just really quickly about me, I'm Mo. I'm the co-founder and CTO of Shepherd. What Shepherd does is commercial construction insurance. Uh, we target middle market and above, so contractors that do uh, somewhere between $20 million of yearly business all the way up to, we have ones that do $10 billion a year in business. Um, we're currently insuring or on the insurance program for four of the top ENR, so like the Fortune 500 of contractors in the country. Um, names that you know you probably have seen around, if not some universities have buildings named after them. Hmm. Um, so some pretty big institutions um, that we cover. And um, you know, we mostly build a lot of technology to uh, speed up the process of underwriting. And we built a lot of tech that we give back to our customers to better their business and their back of office operations. So that's really what differentiates us against some of the big you know, competitors that we have. Prior to Shepard, I was at a small company called Airbnb for about four years there. Um, I worked on, I was the first hire on the Lux product. Um, I had joined the company um, and you go through this like three weeks of like, learn everything about engineering and then figure out a team that you want to work on. Um, I've heard of this person named Daniel Loretto, who now actually has a startup and uh, he was brought on to, or he was at the company and he was responsible for like starting Lux. And so I was like, Hey, I want to join your team. And he's like, great. He like sat me beside like the EAs because we didn't even have a dedicated space. And he's like, I'm going to go form a team. And I was like, holy shit, what am I doing here? Uh, and then a week later we became like five people. And then at some point we were 120 people. We launched you know, the Lux product, some of my work was like some of the most visited surfaces on airbnb.com. And then after that, I worked on the marketing tech tool uh, within Airbnb. So if you received a marketing email from <laughs> Airbnb, that came from a tool but I've that used was, Lux in the past. Yeah, it was, Lux it was is a great product. product. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, it's super cool. And it came through the acquisition of luxury retreats. So I got mm -hmm. to see like that as well. Big integration, big Airbnb. Um, so that was a really cool experience. And then prior to that, I was at a company called um, Peak. Um, which still operates today. They do, uh, they're kind of like the Salesforce for tourism operators. And then prior to that, I was at Tilt, which eventually got acquired sure. by Airbnb. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of where. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting that you brought up Daniel because we actually overlapped briefly at a company, Verta Health. Oh, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. But also, um, I mean, he did ODF. Yeah. Um, did, oh, yeah. did he, was he, was he the one who referred you to, how did you hear about ODF in the first place? Do you recall? Yeah, I do remember. So my story with ODF actually kind of starts with uh, Eric. Okay, uh, cool. So Eric was doing these like dinners, mm -hmm. you know, before even formalizing on deck as yep. what it is uh, today or what people know it. Um, and so I've been invited to these like informal dinners or get togethers. Funny enough, um, you know, 
some of the people that I met there, um, I guess I met Alex and Lucy who eventually sure. started at scale. But, you know, it was a really good, amazing group of people. Then it became formalized. And then one of my friends, Ben South, mm, who's ODF2, yeah. I believe, or ODF1, yep. he had referred me and said, like, I should join this. And it'd be a great opportunity for, for me to go through that process and, uh, you know, find a co-founder. Um, I had like strong intentions to like eventually want to leave Airbnb and start a company. I didn't know what, I didn't know with whom, but I did know one thing for certain, which is I had to wait for my green card as a Canadian. Yeah. So waiting for that process and then, you know, starting uh, on deck and kind of here I am today. It's so cool. I mean, you know, Ben is, you know, he sold his last company mm -hmm. that he that he started out of on deck. Uh, he's now at Ave. Um, it, it's it's cool to see like all the connections. I think that we'll we'll talk a, little, a lot more about what Shepherd is and sort of why you sort of decided to build Shepherd. Um, but I think that we should probably start by talking about you and your co-founder Justin. Yeah. Sort of what what that was like in terms of how you met each other, um, how you sort of evaluated working together. Um, I'm not going to give too much of a specific question. We'll kind of like dive yeah. into a bunch of areas here, but maybe just talk a little bit about, about your co-founders. Start. Yeah. So I actually have two co-founders. Justin and I met through On Deck. I kind of like pinch myself or try to remind myself every week that I need to frame the like first Slack message he sent me because you know we have it and like every once in a while we'll like resurface and be like this is where it all started. But um, you know I I was in On Deck three. Um, On Deck three was very different in the sense that. On deck one and two, like on deck one, I guess like was the first one. It was experimental. On deck two was you know starting to happen and yeah. it was in person. That was the one that Justin attended. And then on deck three was supposed to be in person, but yeah. it was during March yeah. 2020 and this thing called COVID hit. And so even I remember there was like the kickoff was like an overnight thing. And uh, when COVID happened, it was like all right, we're going to delay this for a week, and then it turned into we're going to delay this for another week. Then it became like we'll delay this until further notice. And then it became like, okay, we'll delay yeah. this indefinitely. So in the beginning, it was really strange to, you know, believe that I was going to find a co-founder and work on, you know, this thing for the next five, 10 years with somebody I'm going to meet over Zoom. And sure. if you kind of like roll back the tape, like meeting people or doing all these Zoom calls back before March, 2020 was still a very odd thing to do, uh, let alone like you're going to essentially you know kind of hedge your carriage to, to another person and be yeah. like all right we're gonna go on this journey together it, it had it's like at its time it, what was really cool is i got to sit at my desk and meet a lot of different individuals and learn a lot of diff different stories just come from the comfort of my seat uh, and learn about you know what different ideas are i want to explore or different experiences that people have that may overlap with mine and we could work on together but this was probably end of March or beginning of April. I get a message from Justin. He says, hey, thought your profile is really interesting, yada, yada. Would love to like hop on a call and chat. And, sure. chat. and at the time, I was like, yeah, I'll talk to anyone. Like, totally, this would be yeah. really cool. See what's going to happen. So we started to chat, to speak, and definitely started to find a lot of synergies between like the way we think and so on and so forth. Um, Justin's incredible. Um, you know, He had started his career as a civil engineer um, in New York City, working on some big construction projects wanted to learn a little bit more of the back of office. Um, so he transitioned into like a risk management role. And throughout his time, he discovered this like really painful process that was just taking way too much time. And so he decided to leave Big Construction to start a tech company uh, to solve that specific problem. Uh, about two years later, ended up uh, selling it to a company out here in, uh, in San Francisco called Building Connected, which was venture-backed, Series B company. And then really quickly, they sold to Autodesk. And so before he knew it, he went from like big construction to leading risk. company, yeah. Yeah, le leading like risk services uh, for the construction industry within Autodesk. And uh, it just happened to be that Autodesk was doing this big consolidation of buying various startups. Um, mm -hmm. So PlanGrid was an acquisition that happened around there around that time so he became you know friends and got to know tracy young who's the ceo of, of uh, plan grid and uh, a few other startups as well so you know his background was incredible i did not know anything about construction i knew it was kind of interesting and there's a lot of problems but i was pretty naive to be honest with you i at the end of the day was an engineer from airbnb yeah. um and so we were like, okay, let's work together. And we decided to work together um, and then started this kind of like journey of like nine months to where we got to, to today. But mm -hmm. the journey started off with a uh, kind of funny story. Uh, Justin's like, hey, I got this like really painful idea. Um, uh, a lot of my friends are creators. And at the time, again, this was like March or April or May of yeah. 2020, like everybody was at home consuming a lot of content. So creators yeah. were, and the creator economy was super hot at the time. 
And so he's like, I got a lot of friends that are creators and the biggest problem they have is like organizing their work and organizing their work with others. We should create an Asana for creators. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, this is a really difficult idea to do. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah, yeah. you know, I came from Airbnb, you came from Autodesk. Like we are not the right people to do this, but like, you know, we trusted each other. We're going to go on this yeah, path. Sure. Like, let's do it. What do we got to lose? Um, so we went through that, did a lot of exploration and it didn't work out. So then we're like, okay, what is the number one problem that a lot of creators have? And the thing that consistently came up is um, finding talent. And uh, and so we're like, great, we're going to create like a Fiverr or you know Upwork or something like that specifically for content creators because they need really good writers. They need really good editors and videographers and so on. And like, we'll figure out additional tech or whatever it is to differentiate from all these other platforms. So we went out to do that. We got tons of users. We actually were able to, or like made money off of this thing. But the problem we kept running up into is we would go to creator, be like, you got a hundred applicants for your writing, you mm -hmm. know, writer application. We've like used a lot of tech. We narrowed down to the best five. Yeah. Here you go. Like how much would you pay us? And then when's the next time you want to post a job? And they're like, great, this is awesome. Probably I'm good here for six months and I'll pay you guys 20 bucks. Yeah. So it was like, damn, where well, you don't have like a really good venture backable business. Price and, and frequency problems there. Exactly. Yeah. And again, we were like, we were having a lot of difficulty as well. Like we had a bunch of creators in our network, but how do you go from like 10 to 20 to 100 to like a thousand? Um, it was really hard for us to figure out that path. We just didn't know the secrets or kind of how to distribute in this market. Um, and we went through a bunch of series of, you know, different ideas, but here we are. We ended up kind of doing full circle, like, Shepherd construction insurance is a world that Justin knows really well. Um, and then, you know, we went through Y Combinator and Steve, our, you know, our th the third co-founder joined us right after that in April of 2021. And so um, he left his job as uh, executive vice president at Chubb, one of the biggest insurance companies in the country, overlooking the whole construction book of North America. So he's really, really, really the domain expert when it comes to insurance and underwriting. And then Justin, construction tech and insurance, and then me, everything technology. So that really kind of brought the, the full team together. Maybe we could talk a little bit about how you guys decided you and justin since you guys were sort of started and then steve eventually joined uh, as, as the third co-founder maybe we can talk a little bit about that process because it sounded like you guys were interested in potentially working together yeah kind of regardless of the idea or you just sort of hit it off and you even you even working out an idea that maybe it sounds like you didn't have a, a ton of confidence in or but yeah. you were but you were excited about working together can you speak a little bit about that we did like a questionnaire and um we followed that questionnaire and um, we kind of created our own questions as well. Mm -hmm. And we answered it and we looked at both of our answers and there was a lot of alignment between some of the things that we wanted. Uh, naturally, like if it's 70% good, then it, I think to me it's 100% good. You can't align sure, on everything, sure. but we definitely really aligned on like the kind of organization that we wanted. And it started to kind of like speak into the, you know, what Shepherd has become. So for example, we were very, very fond of being in person right from the get-go. So mm -hmm. We actually got our first office May of 2021. Uh, so we like got vaccinated and then like a month and sure. a half later we had an office and everybody at the time thought we were crazy and you know, remote work was the future. And to some extent, you know, there's a lot of remote work and it will be part of the future. But um, the culture that Justin and I wanted and we aligned on when we were even, you know, yeah. doing that questionnaire is like, we don't know how long COVID's gonna last. We don't know how long we're gonna sit at home and work, but like once we can, we wanna get back in the office. We wanna be in person. We love the camaraderie. We love mm -hmm. the celebration. We love the like elbow to elbow kind of work. Um, and it's really helped shape, you know, the company and kind of the path and the success that we have today. It's not for everyone, but it really worked for us. Just kind of like having like, you know, some of the things like no bullshit culture, et cetera, experimentation, so on and so forth. That those were things that him and I really cared a lot about. And we brought a lot of that into the ethos of and the fabric of the company. And so, yeah, so that was that. And then honestly, going through different ideas, what we kind of had at the time, you know, just being very transparent is like, I was waiting for my green card. So sure. we, we had we had a little bit of the luxury of time of working together, experimenting on different ideas, going through like the highs and lows when somebody's really excited and leans into one yeah. of our ideas and somebody's like, this is not going to work. Um, so just going through the working and earned experience that we didn't have because we just got to know each other really kind of formed and solidified like our relationship as co-founders in order to then eventually when we got into yc it was like all right sixth gear you know foot on the gas we're building this thing and it's going to be the next 10 years of our lives and it's been three years since um so yeah i look back at those times and like it was very formative for like who and what we became today
So there, there are some companies that seem to kind of have the initial insight. Maybe one of the co-founders has the insight. They find the other co-founder and they're pretty much just straight off to the races. And obviously yeah. there's a little iteration around maybe go to market or sort of what the actual product promises and how it delivers that promise to the customer. But ultimately there are those types of companies, but those are few and far between. Most yeah. of them involved a lot of wandering and sort of figuring out what it is that you're actually going to build. You went through quite quite a few pivots before <laughs> you actually landed on the thing that maybe speaks to your core strength. Yeah. You know, the thing that the thing that uh it reminds me a lot of is Finch, because Finch sort of had a similar journey where the two of them, Ansel and Jeremy, they were kind of working through ideas together and seeing like what was the thing. Um I, I know Ansel told me the last time we spoke and you spoke for ODF nineteen, he said, you know, we we worked on trying to build something for fortune tellers at one point. Yeah. Um so how did you think about sort of that process of going through the ideas? Yeah. And sort of understanding when to move on, um, because ultimately I think that some of the challenges with this isn't that you try ideas that don't work; it's that you stick with like the wrong idea for too long, or like there there are probably other other issues with it. So we have a really funny story here, which is um, so come you know October I get my green card, and at the time, um, you know we we've been like we've been. T- talking about a bunch we've explored a bunch of different ideas marketing tech sales tech all kinds of things at this point we were like kind of reaching for whatever and one of the things that we landed on is um building a SaaS tool for customer success so the insight there was customer success as a role was growing and was Mm -hmm. becoming more more prominent more important especially 2020 when everybody's freaking out and like starting to you know shed a lot of the software that they're using, customer success became really important in terms of thinking about churn, thinking about upselling, sure. et cetera, et cetera. So we wanted to build tools for that role or that kind of uh, team, and uh, you know we <laughs> we at that point we spent quite a bit of time doing the like talk to your customers before you build. So we had spoken to about forty different companies about 90 to 100 different individuals. And um, there's a couple like fun insights here, uh, you know, two different things I'll talk about. And by the way, I share this story with like everyone who joins the company. Uh, So, cause it's a little bit fun, which is, so, you know, we we talked to all these people, we were like, okay, we know what we're gonna build. We're super excited. And we're like, let's do what everybody was doing, excuse me, at the end of 2020, which is two people on a deck. And let's go raise some money. So we go and like in parallel, while we're raising money, we're still doing a lot of customer development. and so. It's just Justin and I were like, hey, we're doing this thing. We've done all this research, et cetera. And we got really lucky because we ended up talking to like every venture capital firm in the Valley. Like the whoever you name it, we talked to them. And uh, they were super excited to talk to us. And you could like see that like we heard so many great things about you guys. Great pedigree, great, you know, degrees, blah, 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 all these things. What are you guys working on? And then, you know, we talk about our background. Then we like jump into what we're working on. You could almost see like people's people's (laughs) face kind of like sink in. They're like, oh, crap. (laughs) You know, this is what you guys are working on. Like, you know, and so that was like one signal. And we, you know, at that point, we probably got like a. hey you know love you guys great idea all these things like let's talk again in like six months when you're further along yeah uh, kind of rejection so that was like one peril that was happening the other peril was you know we got to a point where and this is kind of a little in- insight or nugget is we started to ask some of our early like our conversations uh, we would ask them a couple of different questions that were telling that we're not building the right thing yeah or actually even if we were building the right thing there's no money here so we would mm-hmm. ask them for example my third conversation would be like, would you, you know, here's a software, here's some designs, Figma, would you pay for this? And we would talk to a VP of success and they would say, no, 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 I have no budget. I'm so sorry. I, I like, you know, this is great. Really excited for you guys, but I don't have budget. And if we didn't want to ask them directly that, we would ask them, when was the last time you bought software or asked for software yeah. for your team? And it's like, oh yeah, never. Like, I don't have any budget. My team uses Salesforce. That's what the sales team, the sales team gets all the allocation. So like, we can't help you here. So we started to like clue in that, you know, we probably should have asked these conversations from conversation number one. Yeah. And especially when it comes to some of the SaaS ideas that we had, it took us too long to actually get to the point where we, you know, we could build whatever anybody wants as mm-hmm. like design partners, but will they pay for it? And then what, at what point will they pay for it? And how much do we have to build for them to pay? Were kind of some of the big questions that we started to ask ourselves. And what we discovered, you know, at this point is like we spent all this time doing all this market research but we were going to build something that people really didn't want 
Um, it just happened to be around that time. This was December when we were fundraising. We also got into Y Combinator. And so we decided we're going to do YC two weeks before Justin and I sat together and we're like, all right, what are we going to do here? And he said, I have two ideas. One, Asana-ish for construction. And I was like, oh no, not again. Asana. <laughs> Asana. Um, or he said, Lemonade for Lemonade the Insurance yeah, Company yeah. for construction. And that was one that we both leaned in and we thought was really intriguing and really exciting. We truthfully didn't know what that was going to look like sure. or what was it going to shape to be. But that was one that we were both excited and we were both willing to kind of bet the YC three months um, on. And so we, you know, first week of YC, we hop on a call with our partner at the time. We we're like, hey, do you remember this idea that you accepted us with? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing lemonade for construction. And they're like, okay, so what does that look like? And we're like, we don't know. We're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we spent three months doing all kinds of conversations, building all kinds of things, showing it to brokers, showing it to insurers until what we realized is, if we really wanted to have a meaningful impact on the industry and do something really different, we had to become an insurer ourselves. Um, and this was also guided by a lot of conversations with Steve, who eventually joined us. Um, we had a lot of conversations with him about like, here's what we're thinking, or here's what we're, you know, what we're looking at. And you know, he really helped us guide around like, ah, no, it's actually this or that, or like, here's actually how I think the you know world is gonna go to or move to. Um, and then it became kind of like a no-brainer that you know we this is the team like it should be the three of us and this is the kind of company and what we should be building so that's kind of how we came together why do you think it took you a while to potentially work in an area that one of you had significant experience in is it feels like you went towards stuff that was cool and interesting yeah um but not necessarily something that you know it wasn't it wasn't in sort of like short-term rentals and it wasn't in you know uh, or luxury rentals yeah. or whatever and it wasn't in sort of the construction space to start do, do you sort of have a sense of why that was and, and a lot of people sort of have that happen in their journey they kind of like circle back to the thing that maybe one of them or, or both of them have like some real like serious background in yeah i i think there's there's many different reasons and obviously you know if justin was here he would have a very different reason than i i would for example but i think when you work in something for really long you sometimes forget or kind of start to be blind to some of the secrets that you've like earned and like you know it's just like this is the way it is right um and so as a result you know it's like yeah like you don't necessarily want to, you know, maybe you kind of like dismiss a lot of the problems that are kind of so obvious to you that are not obvious to others. I think the other part is like, it's cool to change things. Like what's, you know, the grass is green on the other side. Like yeah, let's yeah. try different things. So yeah, we could have tried to do something, you know, in luxury or short-term rentals. And at the time, like, you know, right before the pandemic, there's many different concepts of like Airbnb. So we, we could have came up with something different, but you know, I, I think like, regardless, I look back at that time and I think, it was really, really powerful for us because we got to experience a lot of like failure. <laughs> we got to yeah. experience a lot of like being in the trough and like people saying no to us. And, um, you know, that kind of like really hardened uh, our swords a little mm-hmm. bit and like kind of got us to a place where, you know, we felt as a team a lot stronger, a lot more confident. And then we're kind of like ready to jump into the thing that we actually knew pretty well. Um, so it kind of like took us to go full circle, but I'm happy that that happened. And Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time, you decide to work with them. I think it's like a healthy thing. I saw, I see it as like a necessary evil that we had to go through, but my explanation to like why that happens is, yeah, you sometimes got to kind of like step away to like go back and realize that, oh yeah, these are actually really big problems that I, for a really long time, I was like not seeing. Uh, but now with fresh eyes again, you start to be, to see them as like big problems. It seems like there's actually a significant amount of value in it running into these challenges uh, with somebody who you haven't built a company with before yeah. early on. Because if you go towards something and maybe you maybe you just sort of luck into it or it's you know it's some combination of luck and insight and you kind of work on something that kind of starts to work pretty well out of the gate, you don't necessarily have these like lurching moments where it might really test the durability of your relationship and sort of... I mean, I can imagine it, it obviously didn't happen in your case, which is so amazing, but I imagine there are a lot of times when people, you know, they start working with somebody on an idea. Uh, maybe it's not the best idea. Maybe they're three or four company ideas away from landing on Shepard or landing yeah. on Finch. 
but they end up in a place where they hit that lurch, they hit the thing where it's like, oh, wow, it actually isn't working in the yeah. way that we thought it would. And then they realize that they're maybe don't have a good sustainable relationship. Maybe the relationship was only based on this idea and this sort of interest. But once they actually encountered some adversity, it started to you know pull at the seams a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's like a popular saying within, you know, Silicon Valley, which is like startups don't die from homicide, they die from suicide yeah. or like implode within, which is very true, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's not just, you know, the biggest risk to startup is interrelationships and sure. it starts with the founders and it starts kind of like with the leaders and, you know, the team. And I think even I looked at a study, you know, a couple of months ago that was looking at like all the top reasons why startups fail. And it's like very rare. It's not, it, it's common, but it's not, it's not as common as people believe that it's competitors or competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's oftentimes it's like actually the team and then it's like the market and then it becomes like competitors. Um, so yeah, it is, you're totally right. Which is, um, the way even I look at it, it's my, my best analogy for it is like, I'm sure you've watched movies where they show you like, as they're preparing like the sword or whatever, you got to like heat it and then you like cool it and you like beat it up and then you heat it and you cool it. And like, that makes, you know, that sword like stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like the same way, you know, we kind of went through that process and it just made us a lot more resilient, a lot stronger as like a founding team, um, kind of having went through, you know, the, the peaks and troughs. Um, and ultimately like, you know, it's built a relationship where, you know, shepherd and beyond, um, you know, I, I look at like my co-founders and I have hundred percent trust in them. Uh, and you know, they're, they're closer than some of my closest friends that I've known forever. Um, because of kind of like that experience and the shared experience that we went through and kind of the resilience throughout that process that I, to your point, I think other, other founders that kind of hook onto something that ends up pulling them forward doesn't necessarily mean it's going to kind of hold that relationship throughout Maybe we can or t- not throughout when things go bad, I should say. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it see it seems like there's this really important opportunity to go through that experience together mm-hmm. uh, early on instead instead of kind of like 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 in an ideal world, the ideal world might actually be to go through these challenges and these 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 pivots early on because it kind of it kind of allows you to fortify as yep. you're describing it. Maybe you can talk a little bit about um, what that process was like once you landed on kind of the idea that you felt pretty excited about this lemonade for construction. What what did you do next? So you, so Justin said, "I have got these two ideas. We're gonna we're gonna go and decide on one of them potentially, and we're gonna tell our YC partner um, that we're abandoning the idea that we applied and got accepted for." But what were what were the things that you did immediately after saying, "Hey, this lemonade for for construction seems like a really good opportunity." Yeah, I think the the first thing that we try to do is piece the puzzle to try to figure out <clears throat> just kind of like educate ourselves on what is kind of like what is the value chain of like the industry and where are kind of the holes in the problems. We knew that, you know, for the we we were pretty confident that like insurance hasn't changed and it's big incumbents um and they're they have very very low incentives to do anything or change anything. And so we started to kind of like educate ourselves on what does that look like? What does insurance look like? How does a contractor get insurance? Who do they speak to? Who are the different parties who kind of have leverage? Um, you know, what does even TAM and like money flow look like? Um, and then starting to break down and try to understand the industry as a whole and like where the industry is moving. And the thing that we, you know, the insight that we got really early on is there's, and this is kind of like earned experience from Justin mm-hmm. having built a construction tech company, which is, Contractors are buying more construction tech tools. You know, the construction tech industry as a whole is just, you know, exploding. Uh, There's so many different companies doing really, really interesting things. Everything from like productivity all the way to like safety. Thing is, is a lot of these contractors are not getting rewarded for using those tools when it comes to insurance. And insurance is sometimes is, you know, on average is 1% of yearly revenue. It's a pretty large amount. Um, and so we started to kind of piece together and realize as we talked to brokers and we talked to insurers, as we talked to underwriters, as we talked to contractors, as we even we talked to entrepreneurs building construction tech companies that, you know, the value chain was kind of broken there, which is you use tools, you pay for them, they help with your safety, you get no reward on the back end. And so what we figured is maybe we could build a brokerage, but that wouldn't really help solve that problem. And so we had to take one step back and realize that actually we need to build an insurance company um, that we that would actually incentivize and reward contractors that use those tools 
by giving them lower insurance. Um, and so that was the thing that we came to market with. Um, so just like spend a lot of time just like talking to people and piecing it together. Luckily, because of Justin's experience having built a construction tech company, has worked with, you know, brokers and has known underwriters and new people in the industry. Um, and the thing I should mention is his company as well that he built and sold, he partnered up with a big insurance company called XXL. So he already had a Rolodex and contacts sure. in that world as well. So, you know, piecing together, you know, putting that puzzle piece together and realizing that, okay, this is actually the thing that we should be building and bringing to market. Um started to become obvious to us now building an insurance company is not like building software um so there was quite a bit that we had to do um and you know i could talk about that in more detail but quite a bit that we had to do even to get to a point where we have a product and market and actually generating revenue um throughout that time we did build software we try to build a bunch of different experiments for brokers um it was a way to get the conversation going it was a way to see if we could create loss leaders ahead of uh, offering an insurance product but um, those were ultimately some of those early experiments did not pan out. And the thing that, you know, we ended up leaning back on is we're selling insurance. So I think financing is an important question for a lot of businesses. Sometimes businesses can bootstrap. Uh, sometimes they can raise a small amount of money. Sometimes businesses have a really high upfront cost of capital associated with it. How, how did you think about financing the business? And I guess the second question that would be tied to that is, um, do you think that like the way you financed the business in the past would be viable today or how, how might you have to change it um, mm. in today's environment if you were to be building a company similar to Shepard today? Yeah, so Shepard today operates as something called an MGA or MGU, which stands for Managing General Agent or, gen or Underwriter. What that means is we're responsible for everything to do with sales and marketing and cl uh, claims handling, documents and policy generation, etc. But you know, underneath us is a fronting carrier and behind that is reinsurance panel. Um, this is very similar to if you look at, you know, some of the neobanks like Chime or Brex even. Sure. You know, you have Brex, sits on top of a licensed, you know, bank. And then if Brex is offering loans, for example, you know, the bank may originate the loans or it may, you know, be the money may be supplied by something behind that. Um, so that's how we operate today. What's great is like we don't own any claims. We're, you know, we don't carry any of that on our balance sheets, which is awesome. That being said, to set up a lot of that took quite a bit of time. So, you know, when we went through YC and Steve had joined in April 2021, we raised a seed round of $6 million with participation, well, led by Spark with participation from SUSA and Procore mm -hmm. and a handful of angels. We didn't come to market and were able to open kind of our doors for business until March 2022. Mm. Um, so that was about, you know, a 10 months period where we had to piece together getting a fronting carrier, getting reinsurance support, writing guidelines that describe the products that we're gonna bring to market and what can and can we not mm -hmm. do. It's like really, really complicated. It's a lot of meetings. Most of all, it moves at the speed of insurance as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we needed to capitalize ourselves in order to get to that milestone. And then let alone, we needed to capitalize ourselves to show, you know, our reinsurance partners and so on that we have enough runway to actually like be in business and start to generate revenue sure. and get to scale where, you know, it's worth their time and their effort. Um, so we needed to be, you know, pretty capitalized to be, to begin with, to be honest with you. That being said, insurance is really good business. Um, you know, when you have policies, you know, our, our average policy size is $185,000. And, you know, on average, we take about 10% of that. That's the economics. Um, these are renewing on a yearly basis. There's thousands of contractors in the country. Our TAM is huge. Um, and uh, and yeah, so like when it comes to that, like insurance is a very strong, resilient business. It's just getting to market is really, really difficult. And maybe you can speak a little bit about what that fundraise process was like, because you spoke earlier about sort of how you were raising, you went to talk to investors initially about this idea that maybe was, you know, some, it seemed like that when you actually started to dig into potential buyers, the money wasn't there. Um, maybe the decision-making power wasn't there. Um, and investors seemed to kind of shy away. They were really excited to meet, which which often happens for people who are exceptionally talented. They're really excited to meet exceptionally talented folks. But then they kind of like edge off towards the towards like the conversation once they realize maybe, maybe the idea isn't the one that they're most excited about or they don't think it necessarily plays to your strengths. You kind of fast forward a bit. You've done YC. You've added. You've added a third co-founder. 
you're kind of going through and you're and you have this idea that really plays to to Justin and Steve's strength. You're an incredible technologist, tech enabled insurance. Like obviously, there's a lot of value in, in adding more so, uh, sophisticated technology there. Um, what was that like? Because because it seems yeah. like it seems like it went pretty well. You got some great investors, um, yeah. but it also seems like you were pretty early on in terms of product. As you're saying, it was it's a huge process to go from the idea to actually being live. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, the the punchline is there was strong alignment between founder market. Yep, uh, that's like the biggest thing. You know, we had the right people. Um, we truly, truly had, I, I think it was Paul Graham who said like, you want, uh, you know, the hustler, the hipster and the hacker, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that's like makes the perfect team. And that totally makes sense if you're building consumer or if you're building, you know, uh, SaaS, for example. Um, in our case, you know, what we had was like the kind of perfect trio of you had like Justin CEO, construction tech insurance, like had that overlapped partner with insurance companies, sold a construction tech company, just like great leadership skills. Um, and then you had Steve, who's like the domain expert when it comes to insurance uh, and underwriting and guidelines and working with reinsurance and had like a really strong name. Like when he left to to start Shepherd with us, uh, there was like insurance publications that wrote about him leaving. Yeah. So they, like pretty big deal. And then you have me, the technologist. Um, and so it's really rare where you find that combination of folks who come together and then say they want to build a construction insurance company. And even even like the thing that I, you know, did not mention to begin with is like we see ourselves beyond construction. Construction is like our wedge, what we know very well, what we have experience with. But construction is the most high hazard and it's the most complicated. And when you start to abstract pieces of it, you start to apply those pieces into other industries like mm. agriculture or manufacturing um, or energy. Just because construction is like everything from like excavation, roadwork, bridges, hospitals, demolition like it's the whole thing whereas like agriculture is like it's farms um and yeah. so you know if we could figure this out and solve it you know we will build enough and garner enough trust and support to actually go to other industries um but you know to begin with like we had that perfect team so there was perfect founder market fit um we had like strong backgrounds and um we you know had already started to kind of get traction around like here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to build Bringing on Procore was a huge support as well. Uh, Procore is like the Jira or Asana of of construction. So uh, just like bringing all of that together, and obviously like Natalie Sandman and uh, at, uh, at at Spark and and Courtney at Susa, just like entrusting us, um, kind of brought it all together. Um, and so we were kind of off to the races going from there. What you said about how you're working in maybe one of the hardest industries with regard to insurance in terms of the complexity in terms of the risks associated with it uh, reminds me a little bit of the idea of like do the hard thing first um, in the sense that if you had started with agriculture not to say that that would have been good for you in terms of you have experience in construction and all that but if you had started in agriculture a lot harder to imagine you potentially ratcheting up the difficulty in going into construction later. But if you've already been able to prove yourself in one of the more difficult domains, easier to move into adjacent markets that actually have less risk and less complexity with them. Does that does that seem like an accurate sort of take on that? Or yeah, you know, the biggest currency in insurance is trust. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, even being able to, you know, if Steve, Justin and I were, I'm making this up, but like three engineers at like, you know, Google, Facebook and Airbnb or Uber, Twitter or whatever, sure. like we would not be able to build enough trust or it would take us a tremendous amount of time to build enough trust with the insurance community, with reinsurers, with brokers and so on to actually bring this thing to market. Um, so the biggest currency is trust. And, and the fact that, you know, we had really strong trust with you know, for our team to give us support for construction was already, you know, kind of an insurmountable like challenge to take on. Then we were able to do it and we're very thankful for all of our partners. Um, but, you know, if we were to do the easier thing, like maybe it would have been a lot easier to get to market for sure. Or maybe it would have been like, you guys are a bunch of construction people. Like, what are yeah, you doing are you doing, doing agriculture? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's like that's the biggest thing, you know, for insurance. And, and we were just really lucky and fortunate to have the right people, the right team, you know, together um, and founding this company and, you know, bringing really strong early people to to the founding team as well that garnered enough trust in us uh, and enough support to do this like really difficult thing that eventually we when we want to open the doors to other industries, you know, we've earned that trust even further because we did the hard thing. 
maybe we can step back a tiny bit and talk a little bit around the idea of when you're in this these early days of exploring exploring concepts yeah. with Justin. Maybe you could speak a little to sort of how you kind of kept yourselves accountable, sort of tracked progress. Did you did you work with other people? Did like how how did you know that you were actually working towards something? Because sometimes when you're in this state of ambiguity in the early days, it can kind of feel like maybe you're just treading, maybe you're not necessarily making as much progress. Like how did you measure sort of what success looked like in those yeah, early days? Honestly, that <laughs> that time is like the hardest time, excuse me, ever sure. because yeah, you're right. Like, how do you track progress? Even if you're seeing some progress, like what if you're just kind of going down the wrong the wrong thing, right? Because like you could get some, you know, in our case, like we got progress with this one idea and then we're like, how much would you pay? It's 20 bucks. We're like, no way. Like we can't yeah. build a business around that. And we could have been like $20 better than zero and continued to build out this thing around that. But yeah, it's like, how do you, it's not just like being, you know, self-diligent and like tracking your own progress to make sure that, you know, you set yourself goals, um, and then you achieve those goals and then, you know, what ends up happening, whether you're kind of going down the right path or not is like kind of TBD. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, for us, like we kind of, were trying to be really regimented around working together. So like we were, you know, I was driving over to, to his home and like working at his, out of his home office three days a week. Uh, we had like goals around how many people we're going to talk to. We would build some MVPs as well. And then just like put it in front of people. But to be honest with you, like if there was any single advice that I give to like any of my friends, yeah. if I'm like, you know, I always tell them like, are you trying to get design partners? Great. Try to get them to ask for money or sorry, try to get them to pay you money, even if it's a hundred dollars and you're going to charge like a thousand dollars a month later for this thing. But just like, even if they give you a hundred dollars, that means it's like enough of a pain for them. And that progress and them saying yes and going through the process of paying you $100 is like more progress than like having another 50 conversations. That being said, still, they could give you $100 and you could be working on like a meh idea and like yeah. very meh market. So like that, you know, that advice obviously has a lot of caveats, but that was like what we started to realize is like, if we want to make progress, we got to get down to like, do people find this to be a problem? Can we get them to pay for it? Can we get enough people to say yes to this? Then can we build something for them and then start to kind of get usage within that? Uh, that that was like the biggest kind of thing that we were trying to, you know, aim ourselves towards. Um, that's like when we were looking at various different ideas. In terms of insurance, progress is like, can we bring a product to market? And then we write our first, you know, policy and we make money. And mm -hmm. so now progress became, can we do this more often and bigger policy sizes? So different, different kind of progress. Let's let's drill down even a tiny bit more because yeah. um, that was super interesting to hear. Sort of like this idea of, hey, will people pay us at all? Like it doesn't need to be the full amount. You know, there is a process that they'll need to go through potentially to even get to pay us a hundred dollars. Yep. Uh, internally, and especially the larger the organization, the more painful it is to get them to swipe a card. When you were actually thinking about sort of like the week over week sort of stuff, like what what did that actually look like? It, it was like really twofold. It was. Are we having more conversations? Are we having second and third conversations with folks? Are we getting closer to this thing that we're like, we think is the problem? And then the other parallel is, are we building designs and showing it to them to kind of get to where we want to be or where they want us to be? And, or are we building some sort of product to actually like, be like, here's what we can do for you. Um, so those were like the two lines of progress we were really hunting for design partners. Like mm -hmm. that was every, so for example, when we wanted to do one of our ideas was marketing tech. We're like, hey, Salesforce marketing cloud sucks. There's all these different marketing, you know, tech solutions. Um, I had worked on marketing tech at Airbnb. Um, so it was like, okay, let's like go and build something here. And so we would talk to a lot of marketers and we'd try to figure out what they're looking for. And we would show them examples. We would like create designs. Um, and, you know, that was kind of our way to measure progress, whether we're getting closer to, this is what we're going to build and we know people are going to pay for it. Um, and the further we were from there, then like we were just, we felt like we're, we need to make progress towards that. Now, a lot of the ideas never got to that point, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, so even for example, marketing tech tools, there was a slew of different problems. So we never got to, yes, we're ready to like start building this thing and charging a bunch of money and getting up, you know, a bunch of design partners because early on we couldn't even get to the point where people were like, yes, I'm ready to switch my thing that I'm using to you guys and I'm willing to pay you guys $100 today or I'll pay you $1,000 tomorrow. Like nobody wanted to do that. And so that was a way for us to kind of conclude that 
One, we either didn't know like some secret or some way to enter the market. And we could have like kept plugging at this for a long time, but honestly, none of us were marketers and really yeah. didn't understand the problems deeply. Or two, we had kind of figured out a lot of stuff, but we just maybe we're not talking to the right people and we weren't making progress on that. Or three, we had talked to all the right people. We don't know any secrets. And honestly, the problem is so big that we can't even enter the market. So we're just going to like, not we're not the right people to build this thing. We're going to move on to the next thing. So that that's like kind of ways that we try to figure out. It's, it's really like through proxies, um, but there wasn't like a step-by-step process for us to be like, okay, we're like moving closer or moving further. It occurs to me that a lot of people hear the term design partner. Some people might not know what it means. Other might, others might have different definitions of sort of like what a design partner is, paid, paid, unpaid. Like how, how would you how would you describe sort of what an ideal design partner situation is? The whole thing about like design partner is like you want someone who's engaged enough, who's going to kind of guide you and spend enough time with you to help you build this like initial version of the product that eventually could get them to a place where they actually adopt it within their team, their organization, et cetera. Um, so that's the way we viewed it. It doesn't have to be paid. We would have been okay if somebody was willing to allocate a number of hours to us on a weekly basis. So like, let's call it like an hour or two hours twice a week, you know, one hour twice a week. Um, that's like a significant investment from someone um, to, to come and say like, yeah, I, I want to like build this alongside you and I want to guide you. Um, the challenge with there is like, if you only have one, then you're building a product for one person, you know, ideally you want to have multiple so that you could start to find the Venn diagram and overlap between multiple and then build that kind of overlapping product that makes kind of everyone hopefully pretty happy. But at the end of the day is like, you don't want to build something that people don't want. You actually want to build something that people do want. And you're collecting feedback on a constant basis from those people. Um, so that's like the way we thought about design partners. Ideally, if they were like, yes, I'll pay you money. That's what we kind of pushed for. Um, then we got to a point where we know, you know, they're just, they're really, they're really committed. They're not just putting time, but they're also putting money and they're putting time to even get that money to us, however nominal that money is. So that, that was kind of like the way we viewed design partners. The last thing I will say about money is I'm sure you've heard of the 99 cents and 99 cent app. It's like the difference between like downloading a free app or a 99 cent app. It's, it's a dollar. It's like less than a coffee, but that like mental load and kind of thought is like a big difference why like people don't pay to get that app, although it's like 99 cents. So again, that was another thing that was like our litmus test, which is if you can't get us $100, then you're probably don't care enough about this problem. Yeah, that, that's super helpful. I think people take a lot away a lot from that. I think that there are a lot of people who look at companies and the ideas that they're building, they don't necessarily sort them in terms of like categories of risk. Um, and I, I think that one one interesting sort of uh, blend of risk is sort of market versus execution risk. And not every company is, you know, 100% execution one, or 100% market risk. Usually there's some sort of spectrum there. It seems a lot like the creator stuff that you were talking about, especially the the creator side when it came to helping them find copywriters or something like that. There was a lot of like market risk associated with it. And ultimately, maybe the market risk proved proved to be so considerable that there maybe wasn't a market that was super exciting, at least in the way that you were going about it. Um, on the other end of it is insurance. Yeah. Um, seems like it might be more execution risk heavy, you know, heavy versus uh, market risk heavy. But can you speak a little to that? Yeah. I mean, insurance has been around for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of our competitors, you know, some of the names that we know and love, which are like Travelers, Liberty, Berkshire, Zurich, like these are all big players in commercial insurance. Some of them have been around for like 150 years. Um, so you know, when it comes to market, the market's there and the market's growing. The market's not going anywhere. You know, insurance is, uh, you know, $1.2 trillion spent in the U.S. About 650 is on property and casualty. So that's everything to do with property and your vehicle and construction and all that stuff. And the, the other 650 or around that is um, is health and life. So that's kind of how insurance is split. It's existed for a long time. It's only going to get more complicated. You know, whether there's going to be an insurance market there's no question it's gonna be there. It's all about execution here because at the end of the day, we're taking market share from old incumbents that are not innovating 
um, and are not, you know, doing good for their customers and are kind of like lazy and not providing more than just a piece of paper that says, here's your insurance. Um, and so for us, it's all about execution. Can we stand up this company? Can we outcompete our competitors? Can we, you know, have a big enough impact on the industry to, you know, earn us market share? Um, it's all completely, you know, execution risk for us. There is obviously some market risk, you know, um, you know, insurance hardens and softens. Softens means like people start to take on crazier risk um, and they become a lot more looser. You know, that means that they could outcompete us because we are a lot more limited when it comes to how much capacity or what can we do from an insurance pro uh, product perspective. So like those are positions that, yes, there is market risk there. But if anything, it's because the market has hardened and people are a lot more conservative has allowed us to come and enter the market and offer something new and different. So that's kind of like where we see there's market risk for sure for us, but it's almost, if I had to say, it's like 90% execution risk. You know, it's, I, it's, I would say yeah. the last one, actually, the thing that some people don't talk about actually is like funding risk. Yeah. Right. Like do investors even have appetite to mm -hmm. fund this, sure. you know, companies or innovators in this industry? And that's a risk that, you know, has to be considered as well. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. Well, Mo, thank you so much for being here. Um, this has been great. I think that your experience going through the journey of building this company over the last couple of years now, which is kind of mind boggling to think about, uh, <laughs> is I, I remember, I remember when you did ODF and it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, yeah. but at the same time, it was, it was a couple of years at this point. Um, it's just been incredible to see, and I'm so glad to see you, Justin, Steve, thriving, uh, Shepard, doing really important work for lots of businesses all over the world. Is there anything that you want to leave folks with, folks who are listening to this, who are maybe considering starting companies, or people who are, you know, considering applying to ODF, or or just people who are kind of considering, you know, what's what's next? Like maybe I want to join a high, uh, you know, a high growth company like Shepard. What what would you say to this, these people? Number one, we're hiring, but <laughs> no, but other than that, um, number one is we're very thankful for, for on deck because it's been very formative to both me and, you know, some of the people that I've met throughout my program and even beyond are still some really good friends. Like for example, Kevin, uh, Kevin Huang was in my cohort and I just saw him on Friday and we hang out like every, you know, at least every month, but we became really good friends because of ODF as an example. And there's many other examples like that as well. So, you know, ODF was, was not just, did not just help me, you know, find my co-founder and build a company, but also make friends. So I'm really thankful for that. I think the second thing is, is, you know, I'm sure everybody says this, it's really hard to like start a company and it truly is. Um, it's really challenging, but it's very rewarding. You know, I'm I'm very thankful that like I I feel very lucky that I found like the right people to work with a problem that, you know, I didn't know too much about, but I now becoming a domain expert, a team that is just incredible and hardworking and just so loving and welcoming. It's been awesome. And I highly recommend folks to try to, you know, take a shot and do this. And programs like ODF are a great way to like take a bet on yourself, meet someone that, you know, wants to take a bet with you as well. And it could be kind of like life changing or, you know, could kind of help you grow and learn in many different ways, or it may not work out and that's fine. You could, you know, take a bet again. So uh, I think overall, this has been like a great experience and it kind of like really started with, with ODF. So I'm really thankful for, for that experience and obviously everything that you've done and the team has done. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you, Mo. And thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for being a part of the community and thank you for joining us on the deep end. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes. See you next time at ideas.beyonddeck.com.